I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Hey everyone, and happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of The Remedy. I am so looking forward to my time today with this dear woman sitting in front of me named Jolie Shaw. And um, I met Jolie, how many years ago? Five? No. Four? No. What was it? Well, longer or shorter? Longer. (laughs) Was it? How many years ago was it? God, this is how time. Probably. I'm like, it wasn't less than four years ago. No, it was like 12. Oh, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's how fast. That, yeah. That, I mean. Because you re- were doing Bible studies mm-hmm. at HPUMC, mm-hmm. and then you transitioned into the role, at, you know, in the pastoral care or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and I kind of followed you through that. And then, anyway. Well, I'm, we've known each other for a very long yes, time. Yes, we have. And um, I've always admired you um, from afar, up close, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad. So uh, Jolie reached out to me, um, and I was so grateful. Um, and you said, you know, if you ever want to have a mom on your show to talk about Griffin, um, I would really love that. And I'm so glad you did because I think this is going to be a show. I think this episode is going to really bless a whole lot of people. But I would have never asked you. <laughs> and <laughs> I would have never asked you. And and, uh, and when you all hear your, your story, Jolie's story, you'll understand why I would have never wanted to ask you or put you in that position. But I just, I mean, when you reached out to me, I don't think I waited more than five seconds to text you back and say, oh my gosh, yes, please. Mm -hmm. It would be such an honor, such a privilege. So um, why don't we start? um, So just tell me... um, Tell, so, so you, so everybody knows you had. We're talking about special needs, mm-hmm. uh, having being a parent, being a mom of a, a child with special needs. You had a son named Griffin, mm-hmm. who was born with special needs and who who passed away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and how long ago did Griffin pass away? Uh, two years, July sixth. Okay, so it's just just, just hasn't two been yeah. a lot of time at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now all you listeners know why I would never ask, (laughs) ask her to come on my show, but I'm so grateful because I feel like this is a conversation that, uh, will really, really bless a lot of people. So let's start by, um, by learning a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Uh, in a small town in West Texas with about 4,500 people. Um, it is one of the only towns that does not have a Dairy Queen because it shut down. <laughs> I don't know that how that's is, possible. But does but, it have a Walmart? No. Oh, no. it doesn't even have a no. Walmart. No. Um, but small town in West Texas, uh, about three hours west of here, okay. an hour south of Abilene. Okay. And where? Did, and you went to college? I did. I was in Coleman K-12, through and then the day after high school graduation, I left and went to Texas A&M and 
did four years of undergrad there, and then live, moved to Dallas in 1998, 97, actually. Okay. And, and when did you meet your husband? We met in 1999. Here in Dallas? Yes. Okay. We were working together. Okay. And um, just became really good friends. I was actually in another relationship. And um, we just became really good friends. And then when that end- relationship ended, we pursued one ourselves. Started dating. Mm-hmm. And how long did y'all date before you got married? We total about probably two years total, uh, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. We weren't engaged a super long time, and we probably dated less than a year. So, And then, so you get married. What year did you get married? When was it? We were married. We just celebrated our um, 16th anniversary. So, so 2002. Yes, you ma'am. got married. Mm-hmm. And, um, and how long did y'all wait before you had children? Not long. Um, Brian is five years older than I am, and I was, I think we were both ready. So mm-hmm. we didn't wait. We probably waited 10 months, 11 months maybe. And then we got pregnant with our oldest son. And um, so, yeah. So you have uh, your first baby, mm-hmm. and uh, what did you name him? He is Lucas Stone. Lucas Stone. Mm-hmm. Happy, healthy, everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so how old is Lucas now? He is 14 and a half. Okay. Yeah. Same as my Carter. Yes. And going into eighth grade. Yes. yes. Oh, mine's going into ninth. We held him back. Okay. <laughs> but same age, same, yes. same step. Okay, yes. so you have Luke, mm-hmm. and then... And then we waited, um, we tried to get pregnant pretty soon after, say two years, and had a little bit of difficulty, but not um, anything that needed, you know, medical attention. Mm -hmm. And then we got pregnant with Cal, and they are um, almost three years apart. Okay. So. And Cal's another boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. James Callahan, Mm -hmm. and he is um, 12. Okay. Or actually 11. <laughs> 11 and a half, sorry. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I always like, put them way ahead or way behind. I'm like, yeah. how do I not know my children's age? Okay, so you have Cal, and then and then how long did you wait before you got pregnant again? Um, we knew we wanted three. That was always part of the plan. I would have had four, and Brian kind of was leaning more towards two, but he said you know, three would be fine. <laughs> so um, Griffin was born in 2010, um, and Cal was born in 2007. So they were a little like three and a half, almost four years apart. Okay. So, so you get pregnant with Griffin, mm-hmm. and pregnancy is totally normal? Mm-hmm. Yep, got pregnant very easily. Um, and I was kind of getting to that almost 35 mm-hmm. age, too. So mm-hmm. we knew we had to um, do something sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And um, textbook pregnancy, I had super easy pregnancies, um, didn't have any issues ever, any high blood pressure or bed rest, anything like that. Um, I was able to exercise through all of them and just was healthy and easy deliveries. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cl- textbook, like easy. So when when he was born in 2010, and what, mm-hmm. what's his birthday? When's Griffin's birthday? Um, October 26th. Okay, October 26th, 2010. You give birth to Griffin. Mm-hmm. And tell us about that day. I um, I was induced with all 
three of them, so we knew going into it that I would probably get to 40 weeks and just like history repeated itself, mm-hmm. be induced, and um, and we did. And um, I progressed fast, faster than I had with the other pregnancies, so we knew that, you know, it was going to happen that day, mm-hmm. um, probably in the afternoon, and so, and it did, Um we got to a point where it was like almost pushing time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor left the room cause she was like, you know, I'm just gonna leave you with the nurses for a minute because you know, you probably have a little bit of time. And she didn't even get to the doctor's or to the physician's lounge mm-hmm. and they called her back in and she kind of where was able just to kind of swoop in and <laughs> <laughs> catch him. <laughs> yeah. And as it turned out, he was a lot, well, he was, Smaller than the other two, um, who's six pounds, four ounces. So he was at least a pound smaller than the other two. And he did, he had a, you know, small head. So mm-hmm. it just was. Um, easier. Yeah, it was easier. <laughs> so he's born and he's seemingly perfect. Um, no. Okay. Um, that was, I mean, it, that's still sort of a blur. Um, so he came out and. You know, we didn't hear any cries, and um, we knew that there wasn't any cord issues or anything like that. And we'd done all the genetic testing, you know, so there was nothing that would have indicated or um, resulted in him not breathing. Um, but he didn't breathe, and so it just is such a blur when that happens because you go to just a normal delivery with three or four people in there, um, max, mm-hmm. to within two minutes, there's you know, 20 people in the room because the NICU responds so quickly. So they were able to put a bag on him and they were giving him, you know, oxygen through the bag um, until they were able to intubate him and get him, you know, started on oxygen. And so that was kind of his entry into the world. And he actually only spent 24 hours in the NICU. His lungs were fine. He, um, latched on great so that, there were no issues so what there. was the complication in in birth well so we never really knew mm-hmm. and we also um thought that maybe he had had brain damage from the lack of oxygen mm-hmm. um but the doctors you know assured us that he never went long enough mm-hmm. without oxygen that that would have caused any brain damage and we also did many mris to see if there were any dead tissue that you know would indicate brain damage um so we kind of ruled that out that Mm -hmm. it wasn't due to his birth per se Mm -hmm. but when we were in the hospital after his accident and he was on life support and at that point they were doing you know a lot more extensive just really trying to examine his brain Mm -hmm. to know you know if if he was going to recover and um and at that point, we had a, an amazing doctor, and she was a faithful woman. And mm-hmm. I just know that God put her there that particular day when she had to tell us that his two hemispheres in his brain never touched and that it was a miracle that he was born, that he breathed, wow. that he you know, smiled, that he interacted, that he walked, mm-hmm. um, and that we basically got a miracle for, you know, five and a half years. Wow. And so 
we think that he just, his brain didn't know to breathe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when he was born. Yeah. So you learned that in his death mm-hmm. about the true story of, or not the true, but the story of. Yeah. How his brain. How, how his brain had yeah. functioned or not functioned all those right. years. Yeah. So he's, he's born and, and it's traumatic, but you leave the hospital, you mm-hmm. go home. We leave with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all great. Um, I mean, it was just traumatic. It had been so traumatic that, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was hard, even just kind of coming home and oh, I'm sure. going through that and, you know, what seemingly was going to be just a normal birth. It, mm-hmm. and, you know, it just kind of rocked our world a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we came home and he, you know, did great. Um, our pediatrician is amazing mm-hmm. and he knew, you know, his birth story. Mm-hmm. And so he started really paying attention to milestones. Um, so at about six months, he started asking, you know, is he doing this? Is he doing this? Is he doing this? And the answer was no to mm-hmm. most of the questions. And um, so at that point is when we really started to get the MRI to see if there had been brain image at birth, um, started therapy. They determined he had low tone. Um, we had to do speech therapy because he actually was having trouble. He really couldn't eat anything. It was, he, he just didn't have the f- swallowing function down. So we had to do speech, start speech therapy at that point as well. And, and that just started kind of our journey on, um, everything, with a special needs child and trying to get a diagnosis and trying to get meet milestones and and certainly mourning milestones that we didn't get and meet. Mm-hmm. So, so you you had had two children, mm-hmm. and so as as Griffin is this baby, an infant, were you worried? No, because he was so easy and so happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I really was. I mean, I, and I, maybe God just protected us mm-hmm. from worrying too much mm-hmm. because I just have never been a worrier. Mm-hmm. Um, so what a I, gift. <laughs> so I worried about today. No. <laughs> um, so I think we just kind of embraced it, and he was pretty easy. We just took him everywhere, and I mean, he was really easy baby, and you know. Did he grow? Was he growing? He normal? did. He he was or very average, very whatever. He was very small. I mean, mm. and so we. But thought, you're small. Well, and the the other two were as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of mm-hmm. also we had this. We just mm-hmm. thought history was repeating itself mm-hmm. with their growth because they were kind of on the same track. I mean, none of them weighed twenty pounds at a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were progressing in that way. Um, but he was small. But he also had a very limited you know, palate in terms of what he would eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at one point we thought there was mitochondrial issues mm-hmm. and then absorption issues. So, I mean, this slew of specialists that we saw for essentially five years, um, trying to determine, was he not absorbing fats? Is that why he's not, you know, gaining weight? And he was just thin. Um, and even up until his death, he had grown you know so much taller he was just you know little so Mm -hmm. did you ever get a diagnosis no no we got one early on um through a genetic doctor at medical city and it was kind of just to help us because if you don't have a diagnosis insurance Mm 
Mm. It gets really hard to navigate mm. and get things, mm-hmm. you know, reimbursed and paid for. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just, she was able just to say, this is what I think it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and that was a disease called Coffin-Lowry. And, and we looked and we researched and we thought, yeah, that kind of looks like him. There's, you know, mm-hmm. definite features. And, mm-hmm. and then as he continued to grow, it was evident that that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a fatal disease um, in its own right mm-hmm. for little, well, I think it like 10 is the life expectancy. Um, so we never got an official like blood test, mm-hmm. genetic this doctor. Is this is. is what it is. Mm-hmm. And and the last testing we did, um, so I have a special needs brother mm-hmm. um, that lives in a, a group home in um, Bastrop, Texas. And he's very functioning. Um, you know, he can make his own food and he speaks and um, he cannot read or write. So we also had that kind of knowing that maybe there was some sort of link and mm-hmm. correlation that it was not just a coincidence because one of the genetic tests did come back X-linked, which means, you know, it came from me. Mm-hmm. So, and also passed on to a boy. Mm-hmm. So we knew that component was there. And I think the last ge- test that we did at Children's in the genetic department was actually drawing my brother's blood as well, and they were just going to cross-match everything, mm-hmm. and we just never got that answer mm-hmm. before he passed. Mm-hmm. Um, because, as you know, I mean, they send it off to a lab with people that are way, way, way smarter than I right, am, right? and it just takes time, right? Um, a lot of time. When you, when you got the blood work that said that it's X and it comes from you, what did that feel like? Well, I mean, I think we all in our marriages and relationships will have moments of when our child acts up and does something, you know, the parent says, that came from you, you know, whatever. (laughs) So this literally was like, I mean, without joking about it, but I mean, you know, I felt sort of responsible, certainly, but some relief that I didn't have a daughter, so it stops. Oh. So... So it, the the it only mm-hmm. oh. males. So mm-hmm. I had three boys, and I was the only girl. I have three brothers. So mm. wow. And I don't think my youngest special needs brother will have children. So yeah, yeah. I just um, the reason I ask uh, when my children had mitochondrial disease, as you know, mm-hmm. and when I first found out that there's three ways that you can get this disease and one of them is through the mother. I mean, I immediately, and and it ended up being a recessive gene, which also made me, I mean, they come from your body, you know, and it's stupid because my mind tells me this is not my fault and this is not, you didn't do this to your child. I mean, I was just born just like they were born. Um, But I remember grieving and feeling the responsibility of my body couldn't, um, my body, my body did this to your body. And even though, you know, of course it wasn't me, right. it was my body, you know, and right. there's just, I mean, I, no matter what happens with my children, that's not perfect. I, mothers take responsibility. You of course. Know? I mean, we blame ourselves for everything, for of hangnails. Course. And so, um, I just imagine that at some point you had to feel the burden of, of that. I did. 
And I mean, I even probably, if I'm being honest, had thoughts of like, you know, gosh, <laughs> Brian didn't sign up for this. Yeah. You know, this Brian, wouldn't your have, husband. Yeah, this, you know, wouldn't have happened. But we had two healthy, wonderful children. Right. And, you know, I just really believe that it's cliche, but that everything happens for a reason. And I just know that we were. I mean, we are better people because of Griffin. Absolutely. We are blessed, you know. Mm-hmm. What, a it, yeah, what a I gift. What a gift. We will forever have a hole in our hearts and souls. Mm-hmm. But so I don't think he would, you know, none of us would have traded anything. Right. No, 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 no. So, Not at all. And the world. Right. The world wouldn't have traded anything because of the gift that he was to to not just y'all, but every single person who ever knew him or knew mm-hmm. of him. So you have this sweet baby who's been given a challenge. You don't you don't have a diagnosis. What what was the day today like when you are just beginning to understand that you have a special needs child? I did I wasn't worried, but I got very overwhelmed um, when when things. I think probably the first pediatrician visit when he said, "Okay, we're going to do the MRI for this, and then you need to do this." And you know, there was this laundry list of things that we needed to start. And I just I got in my car and I cried, and I thought, "There is no way, humanly possible, that I'm going to be able to have these other two children and be driving this one to." you know, this therapy and this and that. And I mean, just the enormous um, undertaking that it was. I I mean, I said, there is no way I'm going to be able to do this. And I mean, God just meets us at every junction in our life. And, and I did, you know, I don't, I don't know how, but I did, we did. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, persevered through it and um, not always with a smile, but um, but I mean, it was definitely overwhelming and it got more overwhelming and, um, why did it get more overwhelming? What got more overwhelming? Well, he had 10 surgeries in five and a half years. And I mean, every time your child has, you know, goes under for anesthesia. So that's, you know, just a lot of emotional ups and downs. Um, what did, what were his surgeries? Were they always the same thing or were they all different things? Um, some were minor, like tubes mm-hmm. in his ears. Um, other were brain functioning, um, where he was under for four hours, where they were connecting electrodes to his brain to see if it was mapping and um, traveling to his legs because he still was not walking and he was over three years old. And we were just trying to make sure that there was not some nerve issues. That So... Um, that was one of them. He had multiple MRIs, which, you know, would have to be put under. Um, he had audiology tests because we weren't sure if he was hearing. Is that why he's not communicating? Um, so it's just trial and error on all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an emotional roller coaster, just the surgeries in themselves, the expense. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, and we are, you know, middle to upper class family, but I mean, it's, it's expensive oh, and overwhelming. It's and so expensive and it's so overwhelming. And it's even if you have insurance and, and then yeah. you're fighting the insurance companies, you're fighting what they're going to pay for, what they're not going to pay for. I remember after Charlie passed away, my son, 
I got a bill from Children's Hospital. Now, I think I told you this. I got a bill from Children's Hospital that was over $100,000. And my child was dead. And I, <laughs> I looked at that bill and laughed. And then I just ripped it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I, of course, I eventually had to pay it. But I mean, what I had to fight, what I had to do, what I had... And the, and then the emotions behind it. My mm-hmm. my child is gone, and I'm still you know having the aftermath. Yeah, yes, and and it's I, I don't. I mean, I know that doctors need to be paid, and hospitals mm-hmm. need to be paid. But gosh, that is just such an overwhelming part of it having is. a special needs child. It is. That's overwhelming, and I mean, I was blessed certainly that Brian. I was able to stay at home because. There is no way wow. that someone could, un- I mean, his binder was of all of his medical claims and reaching out to any respite care organizations that we were number, you know, 792,346 on the list. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. in his lifetime, probably never would have gotten any sort of respite care right. through the government. But right. just, but that was constantly me calling those offices and those organizations to make sure that we didn't get lost. And so that was just, I mean, my day to day. And I mean, my binder was a two of them and they're like probably five inches thick each of just all of the resources and all of the work and the headache and heartache and homework and research and all of those things. So the day to day was, was, Overwhelming. It was a full-time job. It was a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, I mean, we just persevered and, and did it. So How how did your other two deal with um, having a special needs brother that took up so much space? Well, he was, I mean, just all he did is exude love. That was it. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, he just loved everyone, so therefore everyone loved him. So they, you know, loved every minute with him, even if he couldn't, you know, communicate with them. He communicated in other ways. And I think it was a hard, fast lesson for them on, you know, God has another plan for mm-hmm. for Griffin and for our family. For our family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a great example of how we treat you know, people that are different and all of a sudden, you know, we were cast into that sort of life mm-hmm. where, you know, we were very sensitive to anything special needs or words mm-hmm. that were labeled, you know, mm-hmm. any. So I think they had to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, we were able to pretty much maintain most of our normalcy in terms of like we still went skiing every year. We would just have my mom keep him, and we would only be able to stay, you know, two nights. Mm -hmm. So everything was abbreviated that Mm -hmm. we did just Mm -hmm. because you couldn't leave someone for longer than two or three nights. I mean, just, you know, really because it was hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they didn't really miss out on anything. They both are in select sports, and Mm -hmm. he just went with us, and, Mm -hmm. and that was it. He lived in a stroller for three and a half years, and... I mean, was fine. He would just have toys or snacks or something. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I just had to be equipped for that. And he would go to all the games. And then it got hard, very hard, to take him to anything. Um, 
we didn't eat out the last year of his life at all because he couldn't sit in a chair because he didn't know this is dinner time. I have to sit in this chair Mm -hmm. for the duration of this meal. So, I mean, he would just run into the kitchen of the restaurant. If I mean, he had Mm -hmm. no boundaries Mm -hmm. and didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So we quit eating out. And then the games, he was just too big to be in a stroller Mm -hmm. and didn't want to be. Because once he started walking... Um, when he was over four years old, I mean, he was he's gone. free. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I mean, I've been missing out. And so, I mean, he was, he went from a few steps to just running and wow. it was fast. And wow. <laughs> so, I mean, lots of, you know, then just accidents and constantly he didn't know a parking lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just still some uncovered ground mm-hmm. that he hadn't, you know, had. Mm-hmm. So, we had to quit taking him to, you know, sporting events. And as you know, those are, you know, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, right. you know, they're so, so we were able to find, um, just an angel that uh, was a family friend that was a single mom and it just worked for her. She could bring her son and she started keeping him just on basically Saturdays and Sundays. It wasn't even for So you could go do sports. So that we could divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And go be parents. So they Mm -hmm. didn't, to answer your question, they didn't, I don't think, felt Mm -hmm. that they were missing out on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think they had their own grief that they probably never really talked about Mm -hmm. of not having a normal little brother. Mm -hmm. I mean, they wanted a little brother. Right. You know, they wanted him just as much as we did. Mm -hmm. And to know that he would never be throwing a ball with them or, you know, telling them how much he loves them. Mm-hmm. So I think they probably had periods, probably silent periods of their own grief for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they did. And I'm sure that they wouldn't even know how to like really feel that or articulate it mm-hmm. at the time, but I'm sure it'll be something that they, mm-hmm. they do articulate or feel at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what, what could Griffin do in his life and what could he not do? Well, we had, um, a pretty, it wasn't easy, but we just had a routine Mm -hmm. and tell me about that. So, um, hopefully I won't get in trouble for saying things like that. I gave him melatonin and (laughs) locked his door, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're going to get in trouble for being the kind of mom. You're an amazing mom. But, um, you know, we have a four-bedroom house, and it was very apparent that he was going to have to have his own bedroom because he was he never slept, like, soundly, like, through the night. I mean, he would get up multiple times. Um, so the boys shared a room, and, um, I mean, he had his own room, and he was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, we would get to a certain time at night, um, and... You know, he would have a cup of milk and we would, he'd fall asleep and then we'd carry him upstairs and he'd, you know, go to bed. We'd lay there for a minute, make sure he was asleep. And I mean, we didn't have, he had a mattress on the ground because once Ken, it was, once he could climb out of the crib, that became, you know, hazard in Mm -hmm. itself. And then there was no way he could have been in a bed because he would have fallen out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had a mattress on the ground and, um, we would put him to bed and, essentially lock the door and sometimes he, he would in the morning when we'd go in there cause he would wake up and you know, we'd hear him. And of course, cause he made lots of fun, happy sounds and, <laughs> and he cried too. But, um, 
sometimes he might be asleep at the foot of the door. Um, but we also recognized how important it is, you know, for us to get rest as well. Sure. So he would sleep. That was sort of our nighttime routine in the mornings. He had specific things that he ate, and it got to the point when he was communicating more just physically with us. And, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say that he cognitively advanced some, <laughs> um, but he would go to the freezer and get out waffles and put them on the counter. And, you know, we knew, like, so he had waffles every morning with Nutella on them, and um, he was very carb Heavy on everything. That's what he ate. That's funny. Um, so, and then he went to a special school, um, which was another just blessing for us. Now, could he shower? Could he no. dress himself? No. Could he? No. Okay. Um, he was still in diapers. Okay. At five and a half. Um, probably would have been for, I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't use utensils. So everything was just cut up into bite-sized pieces and he just ate it so it was real messy and you know um but and then he didn't he didn't have the sensation of when his mouth was full so he would just continue I mean it was just stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and oh my gosh I bet you have some great pictures yeah (laughs) lots of lots of messy pictures um so yeah we had to bathe him and um diapers and he had we had to dress him I mean he never learn to dress himself. Um, towards the end, he was starting to, uh, and we did all kinds of, throughout his different schools that he went to that were special needs schools, um, we tried lots of different communication um, techniques. and Because he never spoke. He never spoke. And so, of course, we needed to, he needed, we needed communication of some sort. And so right. we tried multiple things. Um, there's like these, I forget what the name of them are, but they're little laminated pictures that just look really simple. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, a picture of food or a picture of milk. And you're supposed, they're supposed to put it onto, you know, like his, his self or what, I mean, just some visual identification mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that really never worked and then towards the end we were doing iPad communication um i think it was called quid pro quo i i can't remember the software but it was a program that it was an app that you could buy which was you know $300 mm-hmm. and that would was going to help him you know communicate and and he was doing you know a lot better so how did how did that work can you um So at his school, his therapist came to his school, and so that's what they would work on with him. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see a lot of what they were doing because that was during his school hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And at home, you know, we would just – he would just touch, you know, the iPad for things. And and I don't – we never got advanced with it, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. beginning to learn it. But that was becoming a basic way of communication for him. So now he never, he never talked, he never said anything, but I'm sure as his mom, you knew him well. Mm -hmm. And so how did he communicate with you? I mean, you said he'd never did anything but love. Mm -hmm. And so help us understand what a little boy who doesn't speak, how does, (laughs) and I'm sorry to make you cry. You're going to make me cry, but... How did you know that he was so full of love? Because um, he gave the best hugs. I mean, so he hugged. And kissed. 
He gave kisses. Mm -hmm. Open mouth. (laughs) With Nutella. (laughs) But that was fine. Um, And he cried. I mean, if he wanted something, we knew. I mean, he would cry for if he wanted to be, to go somewhere. So once he started walking, he also wanted to just be out and go. Mm -hmm. And so he would sit at the door, you know, and cry, especially if Uh, Lucas and Cal were playing ball in the front yard. And, and, you know, we, a lot of the times just would have to keep him, you know, in the house because once he was out, it was a flight risk. Yeah. I mean, you're running literally through the neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you know, chasing him and retrieving him from, because he would also know like people's houses, which I just think is such a neat thing. Yeah, but it's really cute. He would probably remember that he had had you know fun at a house. And <laughs> so he'd want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but those were, I mean, the main. Just he hugged and kissed and and cried and lots of laugh, just belly laughs and some huge smiles. So we knew. You know, when he was happy and sad, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> five and a half years, mm-hmm. he's, you, it may not be typical, it may not be, I, I, I say all the time, I hate the word normal, because I don't think anybody's normal, <laughs> normal <laughs> or average, but you're living a very um, different life than your friends. But have you have you gotten used to it? Have your friends gotten used to it? Like, are you are you? Did you feel like you were settled into this world? Yes. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I didn't like it a lot of times because as he got older, things were getting harder and harder, just because of the limitation of not being able to go to a restaurant. Or, I mean, we tried to fly. We did fly our one of our only vacations that we took as a family um, where we flew to San Diego. And that was the best, some of the, well, it was the best memory that we have because it was the only family trip we took with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but flying was, <laughs> that was very, very taxing. So you just think we can't do this. There's no way we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to, you know, not be able to go do this and that and just started so that was, I mean, sad for us because we knew, you know, how much we were potentially going to miss out, you know, mm-hmm. on family vacations and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, my friends would come to my house because that was, you know, a safe zone-ish because um, we had locks, you know, everywhere and um, they would come to my house um, and I'd take them to some people's houses if I was hanging out with moms Um but, I mean, I'm not going to lie, all of the friends that we had babies at the same time, you know, that third child that we were all having, and theirs are going to normal preschool and starting mm-hmm. soccer and, you know, all of those things. I mean, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. Of course you, of course you wouldn't, but there was also a reality to mm-hmm. your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, um, I remember after my son, so I had Charlie and Louisa, Charlie passed away first. And I remember feeling so guilty after that life was so easy 
Because when you have a special needs child, you you're doing it and and you're you know that it's hard and you know all the reasons that it's hard, but you don't spend time thinking, Oh my God, this is so hard. It's just mm-hmm. hard, you know? And then it's gone. And I remember feeling guilty that my life was so easy. Oh, it's it's crippling. I mean, luckily it's at two years, that's kind of getting a little easier and I yeah. don't have as much guilt um, about being able just to go and do. Yeah. Now um, you can go on all the, all the vacations you want. You can fly wherever you want. But right. you would rather go nowhere and have Griffin. Right. I mean, <laughs> when he was being rushed to the hospital in the ambulance and I'm, you know, screaming, God, please, you know, I will do all of that stuff. I will never complain again. Just please don't take my baby. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about, and I like how you said accident, Mm -hmm. um, because it was an accident. So let's talk about Griffin's accident. Mm -hmm. Um, You woke up that day. Yeah, well, so we had been fortunate enough to take our very last vacation with him, and it was one that I think, Literally, God just kind of made it happen because he was wonderful and pleasant. And he stayed in his stroller when we were eating and we ate out at all these restaurants. And it was just, I mean, it was such a great trip to the beach. And we went to Port Aransas with some friends. And um, and that was the next week, I mean, was his accident. And um, so I spoke of his nightly routine. I was going next door to my neighbors to um, have a glass of wine and catch up with her. I hadn't in a long time. And so I made his milk cup, gave it to Brian, and um, said, I'll be next door. And I was there 10, 15 minutes. And um, Lucas came screaming, you got to come now. Lucas, your oldest. Mm Mm-hmm. And Cal was with me at the neighbor's house because they have a daughter the same age, so they were actually playing upstairs, which is a blessing, too, because he was kind of safeguarded from that because Cal's my super, super, super sensitive one Mm. and that was very attached to Griffin. So I think had you know that protected him because Mm -hmm. he was able, the mom was like, just stay upstairs. Mm, That's good. Um, It's so, I love hearing all the ways God went before. mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So we um, were in the driveway doing CPR. Um, he had, uh, unfortunately, this, the safeguards that we had for um, him not going in the backyard where we have a pool. They, you know, we'd had a security breach. And um, so that happened, and Brian jumped in and got him and... Um, you know, we still will never know how long he was in there. I mean, it was... It was less than 10 or 15 minutes because yeah. you had just left. Right. Mm-hmm. But long enough. And so we did CPR in our driveway. And, I mean, it seems like I can remember every second, but it was just... I mean, I, I, it's like I can't even... I feel like I'm, like, watching a family from, mm-hmm. you know, above, like, that did that and I can't believe that was me mm, and that okay. was us okay. and our neighbor um is a doctor and so he came over and he did CPR and he had actually just completed a course on pediatric 
CPR like the week or two before. Mm. We live very close to um, a police station, fire station, so they were there within um, two minutes, maybe. Um, we Brian got in the ambulance with him. We went straight to uh, to Presbyterian, and um, I rode, kind of got the kids situated and rode with the neighbor and um, what seemed like hours of them just pumping on his chest and trying to get a pulse was probably 20 minutes, but it seemed, you know, an eternity. And when they were, you know, having to change people because people are getting tired of pounding on your child's chest. So you can imagine how we were (laughs) in that moment. Mm -hmm. And they, they got a pulse. So that meant that we transport to Children's. And so we were there for 10 days on life support. So he went immediately. They got him a pulse, and then they immediately put him on life support. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that that happened. I mean, God gave us that gift because had he been taken from us that night, you know, I just, I don't think our recovery would be the same. Um, But because we were able to have 10 days of just um, wonderful, sweet time with him and family and and so much hope. I mean, we really, there were so many moments that he's going to pull out of this. So what 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 was happening in those moments that you had hope? Was was it something he was doing or was it something the doctors were saying or was it just what you wanted? Probably all of the above. Um I thought he opened his eyes at one point and and that's what I'm going to choose to believe, but I'm sure it was some misfirings in his brain of things not connecting and, and what we would think were him grasping our hand was some of that, but, I'm but maybe to, maybe yeah. he was actually grasping his mom's right. hand. Um, so it was just lots of despair and sadness, and not anything any parent should ever have to go through. Yeah. <clears throat> How is your community during this time? Amazing. Um, We live in an amazing community, and they wrapped every single tree with yellow ribbons, and so that's why I have a yellow ribbon tattoo. (laughs) Um, I've never seen that. (laughs) That was a date night. I made an appointment for Brian and I. Oh, that's cute. So That's really cute. (laughs) We got matching. Um, But every tree had yellow ribbons, just people flooding the ICU um, I think we broke every rule <laughs> on that floor that was to be broken for amount of visitors and food and whatever, but wine. <laughs> I think we did. Um, you should have. I know. No kidding. But we had just an outpouring and then beyond. I mean, his service was, it was just overwhelming looking back at the book of who all was there and um, and then the meals and just friends, you know, they're holding us up. And um, so. You had, you had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. 
So talk about that. Um, after the doctor that I spoke of earlier let us know that, um, and I, I think they have a protocol for mm-hmm. a situation like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure they do. Particularly with children because the same thing happened, um, unfortunately, to another family in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it was very similar, like 10 days at Children's. And I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. the protocol is generally the same, mm-hmm. the, this test and this test and this response or not response. And um, they're similar, I'm sure. And that was the protocol. So when we had the meeting, which, you know, is not good when they call you in a you know conference room and sit you down and there's everyone's in white lab coats except you and your husband. Yeah. And to tell you that, um, you know, there's no activity in his brain and that we could, you know, we had choices. We could continue and actually take him home, you know, on life support. And that would be our new life mm-hmm. and, and cling to maybe some hope that that would happen. Um, but we also spoke to some very knowledgeable people that, you know, just kind of laid out what that would look like mm-hmm. for our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, so I am very thankful that people did kind of let us know that information. Speak truth. Speak about the, truth. the reality right. of, yeah. of, of that. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other choice was that we, you know, take him off life support and see if he breathes on his own and and if he does then we um stay in ICU and and continue to intervene and try to and hope that he gets and better that, and mm-hmm. right um but we also made the decision to do organ donation and so which that was a whirlwind um and I don't even remember the days at this point it's such a blur but let's say that was our conference with um, that neuro, that neurologist was on a Wednesday night. Um, Thursday morning, the um, transplant um, alliance was there. Once they heard, we've got someone that has mm-hmm. organs to donate. I mean, they were there, but we we kind of gave them parameters um, because once we knew, we're probably not taking our baby home. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to spend another night there. Like they, they really need, I think it's 24 hours to secure all the organs mm-hmm. for people that need them. Mm-hmm. And that would have meant probably a lot more organs, but we just were at this point, we're so mm-hmm. tired mm-hmm. and weary. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know, if you can, whatever you can find in this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but that's and all they we've were, got. Yeah, that's all we've got. Mm-hmm. So we, um, and they did. So that was great. Yeah. Um, he donated both kidneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was donating lungs, but they didn't, I don't I don't know if they received a mat. I mean, that was one of the mm-hmm. things and it, that didn't work out, if I remember correctly. And so we went down to another room, which was like, I think, in a basement. And that's when we, you know, started just taking him off life support. And I can't talk about it, but he did not breathe. And we went home. 
and drove in a neighborhood with every tree with yellow ribbons. So you go home mm-hmm. without Griffin. Mm-hmm. And what do you do, what do you do when you walk in your house without Griffin? Well, my friends and wonderful community and supporters, I kind of, I don't know, I'm a realist too. So I think, you know, there was always this part of me that thought that we're not going home with him. And my amazing, faithful husband just, that never crossed his mind. So I had... um friends go to the house and they said, do you want all the pictures off the walls? And I said, no. And to this day, I mean, they're all up. Um, but what I did want gone, um, is I didn't want to look in the pantry, see any sippy cups. I didn't want diapers. I didn't want any of his toys, any of the, just the evidence of his Mm -hmm. being and life and, Mm-hmm. just the physical evidence of him being there. So they gathered up, I mean, probably spent hours gathering up every single thing, and they put it away in a closet in his room, which then, of course, meant that, you know, later we had to do that next hurdle. But so when we came home, it was, you know, it was, kind of, it was peaceful, and but not. And right. we had lots of family there and meals, and it's just a blur. I mean, Brian says that that, um, that day, what he vividly remembers is that I just I had to go to bed. And I went upstairs, and he said he heard a scream that he'll never forget. And that was obviously me. So, And I did a lot of that. <laughs> And so did he. So, um, but that was our new normal. Normal. So, how did this affect your marriage? Well, as you remember, (laughs) I left the hospital twice when he was there for 10 days and, um, one was some friends took me to lunch and the other was to meet you. (laughs) And it was specifically to ask that question, like, how does a marriage survive this? And so we have really just clung together and I have great therapist (laughs) compliments of you. Um, and he did too. And so I mean, I think the first year is just such a blur, everything about it. So you're just not even like yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure. But we were grieving on completely different, um, completely different levels, completely different ways. And my therapist was, you know, very quick to point out that he can grieve that way and you can grieve this way. Mm -hmm. There is no right answer. And, how did you um, grieve? Well, um, believe it or not, I was kind of social. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's a wrong answer. I mean, not, there I, isn't. Yeah, there's, there's not. There's a wrong literally answer. no. I mean, yeah. There's 
no wrong answer. Right. Um, I mean, I, I mean, it, you probably went through some of this, but people come out of the woodworks that yeah. you haven't been friends with them forever. And, right. you know, they want to take you to lunch. So, I mean, lots of lunches and, um, you know, being surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Brian was like, I don't know how you can do this. And I, at one point I do remember telling him like, because I can, because mm-hmm. I couldn't do this ever before. Mm-hmm. Not only could we not do it with Griffin, but mm-hmm. we had to be rushing home to relieve a babysitter mm-hmm. or to relieve you or me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I kind of have I probably drank way, way, way too much, I'm sure. Um, cried way too much. Um, but my therapist was quick to point out, like, you can, there is I don't no. think you can judge no. the drinking or the crying no, when, you've, no, when you have buried a son. I just, right. I mean, and, and it's such a big part of why I wanted to have you on because – so many people say that losing a child is the worst thing that could ever happen. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Mm-hmm. And I know you agree. Mm-hmm. But damn it if life doesn't go on. And, you know, that sun keeps rising. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you know, if you wanted to stay married, your marriage, it, your husband's still there. You know, right. your two children still needed you. Like, the clock is is ticking. Right. And and you are still here. You mm-hmm. know, and 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 so people. I mean, people. I, I, they've said it to me a thousand times. I'm sure they've said it to you. I, I, you're so strong. I don't know how you, how do, you do it. it. I, I could never. And, and what I always say is, yes, you would. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could. Because life doesn't give you a choice. I'm mm-hmm. not so strong. I'm not so strong. I'm just living the damn life that, that the Lord's yeah. given me. I'm getting out of bed. got to because there's Because you have people. four eyes staring at you wondering <laughs> yeah. what's for breakfast. Right. You know? And and so there there is parts there are parts of you and I'm I will not dismiss the fact that you are so strong because you are so strong you have grit and you have <laughs> you have um I, I I've always just loved your way you just have this amazing way about you you're no bullshit you just and and I mean I loved when you took me aside in the middle of all of it and said is my marriage gonna survive this and mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember people telling me, you know, you know, the number one reason people get <laughs> right and you have less than a fifty percent, I mean, yeah, or what? That, that yeah. it wasn't good, and I really didn't want to hear that because mm-hmm. at the time that I lost my children, that my husband was the only thing that I had, right? Um, but the whole grieving differently—that's real. Mm-hmm. You know, people lose friends people gain friends like Mm -hmm. some people know exactly what to say some people say the worst things it's just navigating the death of a child and somehow not you know ending up in the corner with a bottle in your hand you know pissing yourself is like Mm -hmm. or a a needle in your arm or whatever whatever yeah (laughs) it's it really i mean the the grief is so great um i mean i was at i was at my children's grave this morning and uh it's been 
I mean, my son died in 2003 and my daughter died in 2005. And I, I, I will always grieve them. Mm-hmm. I will always grieve them. Mm-hmm. I will always wonder what this day would have looked like if they were in it. What would they look like now? You know? How tall would they be? Yeah, how tall would they? What would Griffin be doing now? How right. would he have progressed? Would he have he ever spoke? Right. What would he have done when he got older? I mean, right. you're never going to know. No. You're never going to know. And so what, to somebody who is grieving, mm-hmm. maybe not the loss of a child, to someone who is mourning and grieving and and feels like life is not worth it. What what has what has allowed you to continue to put one foot in front of the other? Um, I think the number one is just where he is, mm-hmm. and so if I didn't if I didn't really believe that he is in heaven mm-hmm. and he is whole. Mm-hmm. just like your children mm-hmm. with no mitochondrial disease mm-hmm. and he's talking and laughing and and all of those things mm-hmm. that is the number one and um I went to some por- some support groups which I wouldn't recommend just like right out of the shoot mm-hmm. um but one of them was I just it sticks out in my mind um it it wasn't religious based which mm-hmm. you know I didn't care that it wasn't mm-hmm. um but they were stuck i mean every single one of the moms in there were just completely in a rut and still like not getting out of bed and mm-hmm. couldn't work and you know but the common theme was they did not have any higher mm-hmm. like there was nothing higher mm-hmm. that their their children were just dead mm-hmm. And mm. I, that gives me hope. Right. I mean, right. we said two days ago, I mean, we just can't wait till, mm-hmm. you know, we see him again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's... So a piece about where he is. Right. A piece about where he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that grief, you have to just take it. I mean, it comes in waves mm-hmm. and unpredictable waves, mm-hmm. and you just have to take it and do it. Mm-hmm. And if I have a day at work where I've just had multiple moments of, because I mean, I still live in a city that we went to, you know, multiple hospitals and doctors, so anything can trigger, mm-hmm. you know, at any moment. And, um, you know, I just go home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I also know, like, this life is short, and, I mean, perspective so, is, sometimes this is not that home. important. Yeah, yeah this is not that important. Yeah. You know, your children and and their happiness and livelihood, I mean, that's important. Mm-hmm. And so, we, um, we got to take a trip this summer that was a big trip, and, you know, that was important, mm-hmm. just just moving mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's what Griffin would want you all Griffin would mm-hmm. want nothing more than for y'all to go on a trip I mean I just believe that I do too 
I mean, of course, but you just, mm-hmm. you know, you think, well, not even a trip. I just want him to be here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course you do. Mm-hmm. Of course you do. So the days that are that are are the moments and days that are really difficult. What what allows you to? How do you get past those moments? Um, if it's missing him, I try to replace, you know, if it's an image from the hospital or something like that, I replace it with an image of him running or smiling. Mm-hmm. Um, I pray a lot and I just have to remember, I think year two, when your support system just changes, mm-hmm. it transitions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would get almost have a second loss or a second morning of, you know, just not having the support in some of the relationships or whatever. Brian and I are in a good spot and we have two amazing children. Mm-hmm. And that's actually all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, when I get, you know, sad and blue, I just think, of the abundant blessings that we have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that we were blessed with him for five and a half years. Absolutely. I mean, our motto is to let your light shine mm-hmm. and from Matthew five sixteen, and we just start every day saying, you know, please help me to let my light shine just like Griffin did, you know, every single day. So cute. So what, what is that the strength that you draw from him? Yeah, and and I think everyone's situation is different, um, probably with losing anyone important in their lives, mm-hmm. not just a child. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really have moments that I know of, of where I feel like him speaking to me or mm-hmm. his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I might at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, my therapist just said, then in, I think when you are upset, and you are just crying like a baby, you know, which still happens and probably will for the rest of my life, that's him, you know, that's his presence with you. Mm. And so I choose to believe that. Absolutely. Do you, when you picture him, what do you see? Um, well... I think that he is a lot taller, um, still brown-headed, brown eyes. Um, You know, and I don't know, because I just, none of us know what heaven looks like. Mm -hmm. But I really do just envision him sitting on Jesus' knee. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I guess, it. And just whole Brian has sort of dreams and thoughts of him talking to him mm-hmm. specifically to Brian and having a conversation with Brian mm-hmm. and so mine is just that he's at peace mm-hmm. and that we're trying to have peace and so and one day you'll all be back together mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> What a glorious day that will be. Mm-hmm. Does it make you less afraid of death? Are you yeah. scared of dying? No. I mean, I I mean in this broken world that we live in, I mean I'm like 
all right, Jesus, <laughs> can come any day. I'll just, it'll be me and my peeps. We'll just huddle up and we'll all go and get way. to see him. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I'm not afraid of dying. I mean, I think I um, have actually have had irrational thoughts that I am dying and I have to like go get a physical and get blood work to make sure because I just think that I'm, you know, I think it's just the mortality is just mm-hmm. so present mm-hmm. in our lives mm-hmm. and and consuming in our yeah. lives. And um, someone gave me an example is that when he died, every day for 365 days um, that year and every year, particularly the first year, you probably thought of death, I mean him and death, mm-hmm. one and the same. A thousand times a day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you multiply that, mm-hmm. I mean, you have a, a rut in your brain mm-hmm. of just death. Mm-hmm. And so in your, you know, you you just go there. You're mm-hmm. just constantly going there. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's becoming less. So, I mean, I don't, that was kind of Well, death, death, no, yeah. I think it's totally normal. Death became an option. Yeah. You know, yeah. death it, became an option. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. For any of us, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just is. For um, for the first, well, probably, I would say first few years, but I would, if I'm honest, it's, it's still even now. That song, uh, By Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine, mm-hmm. you know, it's a song about seeing Jesus again. Right. But forever, I mean, I couldn't listen to it because the only thing that I could think of was... Your children. What I'm gonna do when I see them? Right. I mean, and and the reunion. Um, yeah. And and because of that, I mean, I don't want to die because I want to see my kids now grow up. Of but, course. But my goodness, if I died, I would not. I mean, if I became terminally ill, the only people I'd be sad for is my children. <laughs> Same. You know, I would because I believe I would be able to see everything from yeah. from heaven. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even for them, you know, I'm like, okay, I've got to be as healthy and mm-hmm. as, you know, with it and, you know, try not to have, you know, any depression that could lead to other things. Um, because I'm like, these kids can't go through that again. Mm-hmm. I mean, they cannot, they have been, I mean, devastated yeah. in ways that we don't even know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they can't go through that again. Yeah. So. Well, they lost. They lost a brother. They lost their light. Mm-hmm. You know, on all that love. Mm-hmm. I can't thank you enough for being here and talking about such hard and personal things. And, I mean, I, it's really brave of you. And I don't. I'm sure. I believe it was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, the, just putting that in your mind and and and. And I do too. Yeah. And I know that there is somebody out there that you have really touched and really helped and really blessed. And I mean, it's been such a gift to have you here with me today. Thank Thank you you so, so much. I'm so lucky to know you. Likewise. 